Hello, boys, Dynasty League. We are back. It is officially the offseason, and I am honored to welcome you all to our first offseason pod. I am joined here uh, by none other than than uh, Matt Kuyper Jr. I hear Brian McShay. Uh, we are ready to uh, give you all the draft analysis that you're looking for, get you excited for the offseason, uh, and really uh, just look ahead to, to yet another uh, Dynasty League. So, uh, Matt, you want to say hi to the group? What's up? How are you? Uh, how are you feeling? You excited for the offseason? Uh, this is the time where I come alive. You know, uh, film is constantly rolling. Uh, assessments are being made. Um, you know, I'm diving deep into these guys' lives. What time they wake up in the morning? How often do they shave? Do they shave? Um, you know, brands of deodorant, breakfast cereals, eaten, all of the above. We're just getting in the psyche of these prospects, uh, trying to get a feel for what these NFL GMs are going to see um, as we make our predictions moving forward. So this is uh, this is where Matt Kuyper Jr. comes alive uh, for this little three-month time period, and then I hibernate from then on out. Let's be honest. You and I aren't really playing for the regular season. We're playing for the offseason. Hell yeah. I'm. This is my championship championship moment right here. <laughs> Tommy can continue to dominate the regular season for all I care as long as I continue to get to do draft pods. You know, when I uh, when I rip off a, a 40 piece, 40 piece chicken McNuggie, perfect draft. Uh, you know, we'll just uh, I don't know. I think I, I deserve everything after that. But <laughs> I would agree. I feel like we should I feel like we should start this off before we get into the stuff we're really excited about, about sending out a true congratulations to Tommy, who has Tommy even texted you yet about uh, Kim's pregnancy? Has he even listened to that pod yet? I will say, uh, so in all honesty, I, I don't think we did a podcast after all of that, because I think Sloan, or maybe we did, I don't know, but some disrespect. Sloan did one after that. Yeah, disrespect was thrown on uh, on Tommy's name. Um, I think it was mentioned that like he never texted along with other people. Um, Tom, Tommy actually texted me before colin did on that monday there we go so it was like we sent out the pod obviously you and i both knew we sent out the pod dylan was an immediate like text the next day like or later that afternoon was mike and austin nothing on friday uh sloan was busy on that saturday I think. Uh, and then that was when we went to the Arizona Purdue game. And then between Sloan and Josh, they texted me on Sunday. And then Tommy texted me Monday afternoon, immediately followed up by Colin texting me within like minutes of all of that. Dang. Okay. Well, so, props to Tommy. Maybe, uh, uh, well, since, since Tommy is a loyal listener, I think he's, <laughs> He's he he deserves uh, a little congratulations. There was there was really no fanfare. I guess when you win three in a row, there's no the rest of the league is tired of celebrating you. So uh, there was there was no post championship pod, no interview, none no none of that. So Tommy definitely deserves a round of congratulations from us uh, on on his three peat. Feel like Tommy's entered his Bill Belichick phase of like I've been there, done that. What more needs to be said? You know, he's a man of few words when he gets up to the podium. It's 
business as usual. He's going to take his fourth round draft picks and his immediate free agent, like taxi squad signings. They're going to turn into superstars and he's just going to roll like it's a, you know, a new calendar year at the office. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I honestly, let's, let's be real. You could just uh, repost the pod that they did uh, last year and the year before that. And it's pretty much the same there. Uh, his team hasn't changed. His strategy hasn't changed. Uh, his roster construction certainly hasn't changed. So, you know, why not just, why, why uh, double the effort? Just repost the same pod, I guess. Yeah, it really, I mean, no offense to Tommy, but it really just like sticks a, a thorn in your side as, as far as somebody that uh, does a lot of research when it comes to fantasy. I enjoy, you know, I love fantasy football. My biggest thing, and you and I have talked about this many a times, um, shout out to the new NCAA football game coming out, but just the idea of like taking something, creating this like flourishing, just mega house of a dynasty that just steamrolls over everything is the dream. Like you and I are never going to be GMs in our lifetime unless, you of know, course. yeah, some catastrophic event happens, but knock on wood. Um, yeah. But that's the dream. And, you know, fantasy football is the closest we can get to that. And to see, you know, Tommy pull it off in the most simplistic of measures uh, is just really just disheartening. Yeah. I, I don't know if I brought this up on the pod or if I've just mentioned it to people in person, but so I apologize if this is a repeat. What really like stands out to me is the idea that the earliest that another owner could be tied with Tommy for the most championships in this league is December of 2026. <laughs> that is, and, and that obviously implies another three P right. from another owner. It's like, he, he might have the, the crown of having the most championships for like 10 years, if not more. Like, especially if we start to get into an era of a little bit more parody here. Like, man, True. that's wild. I don't want to parallel this on to Tommy, but it feels very much like uh, the OG Boston Red Sox, one of the elite baseball franchises win a handful of pennants in the early 1900s and then go on a, what was it? 88 year drought. Yeah. I do not wish a drought that long for anybody in the league. Yeah. We're not even going to play 88 years, but uh, even just like, I mean, shoot going beyond double digit years without winning a championship. Like that's gotta yeah. be gruesome. Yeah. Imagine like, Imagine how cool this will be if we're still doing this league in 20 years. Like, I think we will be. I feel like we'll be able to make it. It's a dream. We're, not even, gonna be, we're about, not even going to be 50 yet. I know. Like, and imagine what fantasy football is like in 20 years. Got the whole guy even knows what it's like. Who knows? Dude, when, when Peyton Manning's grandson is about to be the number one overall pick. Yeah. That's what seriously. I look for. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I got to start uh, stacking some draft capital for that draft. That's going to be pretty solid. Twenty forty five. I'd be paying draft dues. Uh, I'd have to take out a new mortgage just to pay my draft dues. <laughs> 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 but man, anyway, yeah. Congrats, Tommy. We're excited for you. 
three-peat is really impressive. I, I think any of us uh, would be lucky. Honestly, I mean, I think about, like, if we play another – if we play 40 years, will anybody else have a three-peat? Like, I think there's a very re- realistic chance that nobody else gets a three-peat in 40 years. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So, anyway, um, on the topic we've already hit on, you want to give uh, give the boys a little bit of an update about, about how things are going? Yeah. You're uh... – baby Kenny update um Kim I'm pretty sure is 24 weeks this Friday uh she's got another appointment that she's going to uh should be something pretty quick but we had the 20 week appointment obviously message you guys that uh it is going to be a boy um so they're doing a few more like ultrasound picks just to get some better angles of like some of his body parts but all indications were good um kim is like feeling and move around uh in her her stomach he loves to push on her bladder uh, she pees about like maybe twice every hour um, i believe that and then it's funny too because kim will be like oh my gosh feel this feel this and i'll feel her stomach and it's literally just her stomach i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> and she's like how can you how can you not feel that he just cannonballed into my gut and i'm like well i'm not on the inside so yeah but he is growing. Kim loves looking at the apps to like the comparison stuff. It's like, oh, you know, your baby is the size of yeah X, Y, Z. And I think we were up to a grapefruit. Um, okay. I think he hit like a, like a based on like the progression, he should be weight wise, like over a full pound by this point, which is insane. With, uh, to with think you about. being the father, I wouldn't be surprised if the grapefruit person is just the size of his head. <laughs> Yeah, we've been, uh, it's actually really funny you mentioned that. So <laughs> they do like the measurement stuff and these ultrasound texts are just click, 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 drag, boom, 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 boom. Oh, this is this, this is this. Can't you tell? And I'm like, this is great blobs. Like, what are we doing? But <laughs> there, you know, she's like, oh, this is the, you know, the tibia and this is the femur and here's one foot and here's this other foot overlapped and whatnot. And they like do measurements from, you know, end of the femur to the other end or, foot to foot or here's the measurement of like the placenta or the you know whatever the yolk sac or things like that and based on how big it is it has a model for like this is measuring at so at our 20 week appointment things were measuring at like consistently like 19 19 weeks 6 days 19 or 19 weeks 5 days 19 weeks 4 days something like that so you know a little bit less than 20 weeks but there was like a five day gap when we went there based on like when Kim thought her period was versus like when we were in. So it's all within like the scope of like normalcy, but some things were like 19, three days, 19, four days. And then um, the baby's like head size measured at like 20 weeks, one day. Yeah. I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, the, the dome is already like four days ahead of schedule. Let's be honest, your your dome size is currently measuring at 40 years. So. I know. Oh, my it's gosh. Just I just, yeah, it doesn't stop. <laughs> That's the reason I'm like losing my hair is because the surface area of my head is still <laughs> expanding that the hair just like can't keep up. You know, it's like when I, earth, earthquake happens. The grass just like leaves the space. I do have two questions. One. One serious one kind of funny. So the funny one first, have has Kim had any like true strangers approach her and like touch her stomach or 
comment or anything like that? Um, no strangers. Like when we're out in public, nobody's just been like, oh my gosh, are you pregnant? Like nothing like that. I think everybody that knows that she's pregnant, not like that we need to know, does know. But yeah, you know, knock on wood, no randos have come up and been like, congratulations or yeah, anything like that. So that's a, a major that's relief. Yeah. That's something that just like it, I mean, it should it should never be normal, but it feels like if I saw a random stranger approach a pregnant woman and touch their stomach, it's like, yeah, it's weird, but like it, she's pregnant. Like it doesn't set off alarm bells, but like if you imagine it at a non-pregnant person, yeah, like a, <laughs> watching a stranger walk up to somebody else and feel their stomach, like that's pretty alarming. Which to me implies that it should be a red flag. Dude, even even just even just making a comment about someone being pregnant, not knowing if they're pregnant or not, is a huge yeah. no. But yeah. asking and no, no spectrum of normalcy would i ever consider walking up to anybody and saying can i touch your stomach yeah may yeah. i cup your that's belly what, button like that's, that's what, what they're my, doing it's gross that's, that's what my mom always talked about is that like when she was pregnant like people like she she implied that at times people did it without asking like it wasn't just it she they like they would approach her engage her in conversation and then like when they're talking about a pregnancy, touch your stomach. I can't even imagine. I mean, let's be real. The the surface area of her stomach with you inside had to be just gigantic. <laughs> it was. I my favorite my favorite uh, fact about myself is that I have never once been single digit pounds. Because I came yeah, how of, how big were you when you came out? I was like eleven pounds. <laughs> yeah, I I don't even think I was ten. I'd have to double check with my mom to. For the exact, I'm sure she remembers the exact number, but I th- I'm pretty sure it was at least 11. I was just a tick under nine, eight, 13. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So still, uh, a, still a big size baby, but not no Brian Hen size. Yeah. Now, do so you know, never been you, single digits. So. Did you come out early? Were you like on the, was it like a, do you know anything about that? Um, I think I was a little bit late for some reason. I feel like I was supposed to be like February 2nd or something like that. Oh, dang, it's just a couple days late. Yeah, like not crazy, but I think I was a little bit late. I'm pretty sure that I was supposed to be like a Thanksgiving baby. Oh, yeah. Like late 20s of November, and it came out December 5th. Dang, okay. So so I cooked for at least an extra week, and I still didn't even hit nine pounds. So see, this the joke that my mom always made was that, like, I was like, dang, it's cold out there. I'm I'm not going out there. Not yet. So maybe the inverse will be true for you guys, where... Baby Kenny's it's, like, dang it, dang it's hot in here. <laughs> I, ho- I hope it's dang it's hot in here. I need to get out now. Yeah. <laughs> get his butt into the world ASAP. Yeah. Not ASAP. Like as soon as possible, post like May yeah. 16th or something like that. But yeah, totally. That's funny. But, I'm pretty sure there's uh, a blizzard going on when I was born. Second update. As as honestly as you can be, do, do you are you glad it's a boy? Do you feel like it's easier to parent a boy? Like, what? Where do you stand on that? Uh, I'm elated that it's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy. Kim yeah. and I have talked before about you know what is our preference and like to be transparent. You know, the main hope is we have you know one baby 
of each sex. So a boy and a girl. Um, and we've talked about which one would we rather have first. And we just felt like a boy would be easier first in our opinion, mainly because, and I think this is just like a stigma around boys. Like, you know, oh, boys will be boys. Like they can handle like some tough love, some rough love. And it's like, with like, I feel like if I was going to be a girl dad right off the bat, I would be so terrified of doing anything wrong to harm this, like this fragile creature. Yeah. That I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I holding her head up? Right. Did she get enough to eat? Like, you yeah, know, I, need, I didn't put enough cream on, you know, her skin, whatever versus a, like when, if a son comes out, I'm just yeah. like, yeah, he's fine. Like he can just sit there. He's cool. <laughs> he doesn't need that toy. Like yeah. go play with some mud, just like do your thing. I can throw him on the couch and just be like, whatever, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> also thinking like long-term stuff. I think I would rather have a boy also just like the teenage years. I would rather experience the teenage years with a boy. Cause I think those are significantly easier than the teenage years of a girl. Yeah. Then I can have some stuff to prepare for. I I've always said that I want a daughter until about age 10 and then I want a son from age 10 to about age 22 and then I want them to go back to <laughs> being a daughter. <laughs> I, I guess don't... after that doesn't really matter. But point being I I think similar to what you're saying. <laughs> Dude, I don't even know if you can handle a, a daughter from shoot Kim's sister and her husband Ty. Obviously I have Mila and Levitt. Mila's a little over three now. Levitt is going to turn one right around when baby Kenny comes out. But dude, Mila's sassiness at three is insane. I bet. Like the, the way she does stuff that just, she goes from being the most genuine, the sweetest little girl to this just vicious demon child that will rip you a new one for doing the slightest thing wrong. <laughs> and I'm just like, where, how, how do you do that? Yeah. That would be cool for, uh, for your son and Levitt to, to be pretty similar age. Yeah. That's super exciting. Also super cool for us because it means, uh, anything that Levitt gets too big for comes down to old junior. That's so, very true. That's very true. For those that's of awesome. you that know, Brenda and Ty expect to see the same clothes over and over again. <laughs> that's awesome that's that's clutch uh over under on uh how many years until we have a uh a third member of of the doughboys pod seven Ooh, eight how over under until oh until he until, gets on a pod until junior joins the pod oh shoot he's gonna be on here like four yeah five cool. Yeah. Five at the latest. I put the over under at like four and a half. Oh my god, yeah, totally. I I I, I try you to put think it. About at, you put it at five and a half. I'm smashing the under. Okay, good deal. That's fair. I think four and a half would be tough, but yeah, I think that's fair. I I think all the time about like what are my earliest sports memories, and I feel like they were right around that time. Like, and that's that's like the age you're getting into, like t-ball. Yeah. You like actually can hold some memories, like genuine memories of stuff. 
you start playing catch in the backyard, you're kicking a soccer ball, you're like enjoying what's happening in a sporting game. Totally. So totally. It you're enjoying what's happening in a sporting game. Watch this transition. You're enjoying what's happening in a sporting game unless you're watching Purdue basketball at Ohio State this last weekend. <laughs> give me your give me your lowdown on that one. Why can why do we struggle with just the poop teams of the Big Ten? Yeah. Like our worst three opponents over the recent years are Ohio State, Rutgers, and Northwestern. I'm just like, why is that not like Illinois, Michigan State, Maryland, or something? You know, give me something <laughs> genuine. Um, obviously talked with you a ton about it. Talked with Mike too. My biggest disappointment in the game. I would much rather us lose a basketball game in the style that we lose to Northwestern and Nebraska. Like I, I want us to lose because the other team had to play their best version of basketball in order to beat us. And even then like Nebraska and Northwestern's best version of basketball, like we played those games at what, maybe a B minus clip. Yeah, we turn like, the ball over a ton in those games too. So, like, so it's like I, but defensively, like they like we didn't help ourselves offensively, but we still scored a ton of points. But defensively, yeah. they were just ripping three after three, contested shot, weird tip ins, things like that. Versus going down to Ohio State, like I hate, and these are the losses that make the most sense that are like bound to happen. You're gonna lose because you don't make shots. You're going to lose because you struggle to take care of the ball. Like things that are within our control, but we just like didn't do a good job of. We had, you know, one possession where we missed six layups. Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, like missed some wide open elbow jumpers. Lance was missing open threes. Um, You know, Edie, I think had six or seven turnovers, something like that. Like we weren't hitting from the three-point line. We struggled defensively guarding Thornton. We let battle get hot. Like there was just so many things that a slight fix, we win the game. Yeah. But it's all within the realm of like our control. Yeah. I I will say I I agree. I I think what is promising to me is that we can that we have yet to lose a game this season yeah, to your point that hasn't been our own fault like th- there we have not lost to a team this year that is just better than that ju- those just candidly better than us like we have been the better team in all of our losses both that night in my opinion you know or sorry you know over the course of the season up to that point we have been the better teams but and I guess like what I struggle with and what I think a lot of the fan base struggles with. Well, I should say a lot of the fan base, I think is spiraling on the season's over. You know, this is exactly how Purdue's going to lose in the tournament, all that kind of stuff. I think that's ridiculous. Like, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't kind of a voice in the back of my head that was like, Oh boy, this next like week and a half is so critical. Like in previous years, we have hit this kind of late February, early March, you know, rough patch. 
And a lot of the years, it's led to a lot of wins. Like, we have mm-hmm. won a lot of games during this stretch, but it's just clear that it's not clicking at the same level that it was in December and January. Like, last year, I mean, we won the Big Ten tournament, but we weren't looking – I mean, we didn't do we it smoothly. Do- yeah, we didn't dominate the Big Ten yeah, tourney. we didn't do it smoothly. And, you know, we won games towards the end of the year last year. But, it, and I mean, we won the Big Ten by three games. Like, that's that's impressive. But, like, you could tell that last week or two of the season, like, it wasn't as easy as it was earlier in the year. And I think this is a much more mature, established team than previous Purdue teams that have gone through this. But, yeah, like I said, I'd be lying if if there wasn't, like, a little bit of me that was, like, really, really needing them to to come out on Thursday and then, honestly, again on Sunday against Michigan and look like, you know, a 10 to 15 point favorite, like I would expect us to be in both those games. It would nice to be to get back to the team that's just like the ball is moving on offense. Things aren't getting stuck. We're hitting open jumpers like – yeah. Dudes aren't I felt like during Ohio State, guys were shooting the ball just for the sake of shooting it. Like no premise to make it. It was just like, oh, I beat my guy off the dribble. I have to take this shot. Cause, you know, nobody else wants to take the shot. And I just want to get back to it, like you mentioned, I want to get to a game where we just dominate. Like I want to dominate Rutgers. I want to dominate Michigan. Get some steam. As we go into who's after that? Michigan State. Michigan State, yep. Which I mean, freaking Michigan State has flown under like they had some, you know, high expectations at the beginning of the season, fell off, and they have just slowly started clicking and clicking and clicking. And I know Tyson Walker's gonna go stupid. And I know it's at home, but I just uh I hate but I hate again, that we're playing Michigan side. State right here. On on the flip side, they they uh, they lost at at home to Iowa tonight. Oh, so I like, didn't even know that. Well, good. this team good is for them. just they're all over the place. So, but I mean, I don't I agree with the sentiment. Don't get me wrong, but like they're just they're such an up and down team. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I mean I agree. That's what I think. These next two games are really important. Like we just I I would like to see us reestablish some confidence as much for my own well being to not have to listen to a bunch of other Purdue fans spiral for you know the rest of the season because it's like if these two games don't go well we don't we would have to like we'd have to win by 10 or more in all three of our last games to get the fan base back under control right but it's like if we come out and we we you know dominate these next two games or we don't even i mean like it's not even a margin of victory thing it's just like an appear you know how does it look type thing like if it looks good i think people will calm down but um yeah, it's gonna I think Thursday night's gonna be tense. I think I'm worried that the team's gonna come out a little a little tense. I think they'll settle into the game, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if like if Rutgers was up by a couple points at the under sixteen timeout because right. we come out tight and you know, nervous. I feel, like yeah, I said, yeah. I, I I'm confident they'll find their, their groove and, and win, but like it might be a little little touch and go early on. So but anyway. I think that's enough uh, enough non-football talk for a dynasty fancy football pod. What do you say? Agreed. So um, 
first, for, you know, we'll we'll obviously have plenty of time this off season to do to do uh, mock drafts and do uh, you know rankings and superlatives and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of figured for for tonight just focus on um, maybe some overarching topics for for the off season. You know, some uh, recap the draft order for people, get a feel for you know maybe some upcoming free agency impacts, some franchise tag impacts, some head coach impacts. Uh, and maybe wrap up with, you know, some superlatives of, of things that we're looking forward to. So, um, yeah, what are some what are some things about the, the kind of NFL offseason that you're you're keeping your eye on? Yeah. So for those of you that haven't been keeping tabs today, um, which would be February 20th, Tuesday, uh, marked the opening of the franchise tag period. Um, so, you know, franchise tag, huge thing. Um, to look into, especially for teams that either currently don't have cap space available that want to try to hold on to specific players or um, just like have struggled to restructure a long-term deal and want to keep the guy around, you know? Um, So noted, like, honestly, off the top of my head, probably one of the bigger kind of franchise tag guys I could think of would be T Higgins. I think it's going to be really yep. interesting to see what they do with him in Cincinnati. Um, I know he's made comments about wanting to follow his former OC to Tennessee uh, and get a part of that offense, which you think about a uh, like Deandre Hopkins, T Higgins, Traylon Burks trio with Will Levis, like maybe that yeah. sparks some intrigue. Um you know, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens in the running back landscape. A lot of these yeah. running backs are older, um, and, you know, I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to franchise tag a running back similar to what the Giants had to do last year um, and then try to give them a deal. So, you know, yeah. Nick Chubb coming off of injury is a name to look out for. Derek Henry is a name to look out for. Saquon Barkley, uh, I've heard a lot of rumors of going elsewhere besides the Giants. Yeah, um, like a ton of teams pursuing him. So I just feel like we might end up seeing a lot of faces in a lot of new places, but not in the same role that we're used to them being in. Yeah, totally. I, I think there's a legitimate chance that Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, and uh, Derrick Henry could all be in new spots this offseason. I think all of them are are in essentially the same spot where it's like you – their teams probably would love to keep them, but you're certainly not going to pay kind of premium dollar. I mean, and they, they may, but like, you know, I certainly wouldn't uh, pay premium dollar to keep these kind of aging running backs um, just from a value standpoint. And you got to think too, like, you know, I think I know for the giants uh, specifically with, with Barkley, they have some other candidates like their, I think it's their safety. Xavier McKinney is like, he's a franchise tag eligible candidate who like, you can't use it on both, and I'd much rather use a franchise tag on a player like like McKinney as a safety than than on a twenty seven year old running back. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see if any of them get tagged. I think Michael Pittman is another tag candidate if the Colts mm-hmm. don't work out a deal with him. Yep. Um, T Higgins, you know, another option. So there's going to be a lot to a lot to you know kind of keep our eye on. Um, and and also like do any of those tags lead to like camp holdouts? You know, every once in a while you get you get those guys that are frustrated about being on the franchise tag and they don't want to play on it. Yep. And and you know, they sit out. So 
uh, yeah, that'll be intriguing to keep our eye on. I think the the QB landscape as well is something that's going to be interesting. You know, a lot of rumbles of what do the Bears do with the number one overall pick. So do we see Justin Fields on the move? A lot of rumors about Kirk, Kirk Cousins as a free agent. Yep. A lot of rumors of him going elsewhere to a different team. Russell um, Wilson. Russell Wilson. Like, obviously, Denver's done with him. So yeah. where does he end up? Like, you know, a lot of different. What dominoes fall because of that? Like, what? Yeah. What what teams currently have a starting quarterback on their roster that, you know, one move later, all of a sudden they've got a backup. Yep. Or yeah. One, one move after that. And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm dumping this guy. Cause I'm going to make a move to the draft or, you know, yeah. something along those lines. So I think, I think that's an interesting look. I also think, I mean, I feel like there was more head coaching changes and offensive coordinator swaps than there have been in more recent off seasons. And I'm very curious to see how these new faces running teams, in addition to the new OCs being brought in, how that impacts stuff, you know, how does Arthur Smith going to Pittsburgh reinvigorate Najee Harris? Does it devalue George Pickens and Deontay Johnson? You know, Jim Harbaugh going to or to the chargers does Herbert, and Keenan Allen and like that wide receiver group, do they all of a sudden like flourish in his system or, you know, do they still continue to struggle? Yeah. Yeah. Do um, the, Oh shoot. Who was I thinking of the Falcons? Like, do they finally figure it out with their pieces with, by adding a quarterback or, you know, do they fumble the bag and put somebody in to fail again? Like, Yeah. Yeah, and all this too. Like, I think the the other thing to consider too is like you might have a quarterback on your roster that was a starter this last year that you're pretty confident is not going to be a starter uh, this upcoming year. But like, if the chips, you know, depending on how the chips fall and like who keeps their guys, who you know, where these other guys end up, like, you know, I I think about Desmond Ritter as a perfect example of that. Of like, Ritter, you probably left this offseason feeling pretty confident was not going to be a starter next year, but it's like depending on how things go, like they might not have another option. And all of a sudden you might, you know, kind of have this extra asset that you didn't realize you were going to have, you know, coming out of the the regular season. So it's definitely going to be, be interesting to keep an eye on who are, who are, you know, of those guys that we've kind of listed, um, what are, you know, from, from what you've, you've read or heard or anything like that, who do you, who are some players you expect to move? Like what kind of teams do you expect to be engaged with with some of these free agents? Um, obviously reading a lot. I mean, being a Charger fan, I know I read a lot of stuff about the Chargers. The Chargers are in an awful cap situation. Um, all indications point to two of the Chargers' four highest paid players getting cut to save cap. Yeah. Currently, that is Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, and Cleo Mack. Obviously, Cleo Mack being the older pass rusher, probably a prime candidate to get cut. And Mike Williams with his injury injury history is another candidate. And that seems just more and more likely over and over from what I've seen. Yeah. So Mike Williams on the move uh, almost seems like a guarantee. Uh, Calvin Ridley is currently a free agent for the Jaguars. Yeah. If they sign him to a new deal before like March 16th. Uh-huh then they have to give the Falcons a second round pick. But if they wait to get a deal done later, then it stays a third round pick. 
from like like whatever their trade okay. indications were. So okay. I'm curious to see if the delay in signing talks pushes him away from Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, or if he ends up staying in Jacksonville. Um, you know, I think uh, – what was I going to say? I, Eckler, I think, is almost a guarantee to not be in L.A. either. Yeah. Um, rumor has it, apparently, Harbaugh is, like, enthralled with Saquon Barkley and wants huh. to get him in a Charger uniform, which I think would be bonkers. Yeah. Um, hearing a lot of rumors in terms of, like, where people think Kirk Cousins is going to end up. I've heard stuff about the, you know, Pittsburgh is like all in on trading for Justin Fields. And then the next day I'll hear a report that says they're happy to run it back with Kenny Pickett. (laughs) And I'm just like, it makes no sense. But I think, I honestly think the biggest chip that's like the biggest domino that's going to have the greatest effect on everybody is what decision does Chicago make with the number one overall pick? Yeah. And I heard a report that, potentially as early as the end of next week, they will like make it known if they're, you know, going Caleb Williams, number one, or if they're going to go Marvin Harrison jr. Number one, or if they're going to trade the pick because they're riding with Justin Fields. Cool. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that would be a huge domino to fall to kind of start the off season. Justin Fields also did unfollow the bears on Instagram. I saw that. I saw that. That's always like, like, man, that's, (laughs) Petty. That's a tier knowledge right there. I, I think it's interesting. Like we have all, you know, it's what a, what an amazing off season that's ahead of us. We have all these free agent wide receivers, all these free agent running backs, all these, you know, quarterbacks that might be on the move as, as always. And then a draft that is absolutely loaded at the top with, with great talent and then has, has good wide receiver depth as well. So like, I mean, you know, I was just kind of jotting down here some teams, like if you think about like, you know, all these free agent wide receivers like, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, Mike Evans, T. Higgins, you know, so on and so forth. You know, I think about like just in, in the two minutes that I've been jotting down names, it's like I have the Giants, Colts, Chiefs, Jaguars, Texans, Jets, Falcons, like all as potential landing spots for for some of these wide receivers. I also think a place like Carolina could be a, a spot. So to me, I think a lot about like, you know, if you're an owner of one, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I've got T Higgins. I think about like, man, you know, he's currently catching passes from Joe Burrow. Like what a significant impact it could have to his value. If all of a sudden next year is in Carolina for some reason, or, you know, he, he ends up in, you know, no offense, but like New York with the giants and has Daniel Jones instead of Joe Burrow. Like there's, there, there could be a huge impact to, to a lot of these receivers values uh, kind of based on where they end up. But on the flip side of that, like you've got to think that the chiefs are adding wide receiver either in free agency or in the draft. Um, mm-hmm. That receiving core, you know, outside of uh Rishi rice is probably just not sustainable going forward. And, you know, each year Travis Kelsey continues to get older. Um, you've got to think they're going to add somebody and whoever that, you know, whoever that lands on, you know, hit a jackpot. Right. Instant uptick yeah. in value. Yeah. Like if I'm God, imagine if Mike Evans goes there or something like that. Like there's huge upside. It would be Thomas luck that Mike Evans would end up in Kansas city. I even just think about some of these, like, you know, Kansas city decides to use their first round pick 
on a wide receiver. Like, he, oh man, it's the back end of the first round, whatever. But I'm like, dude, that might be, you know, in terms of where guys get drafted, that could end up being the fifth or sixth wide receiver off the board. But in terms of fantasy value, like, we get past Marvin Harrison Jr., we get past Malik Neighbors. Like, am I really passing up a dude that got drafted in the first round to go catch passes from Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. Like, why I would I, why would I take him over, you know, uh, a Romo Dunze that got, shipped off to god knows where yeah or uh you know i mean that's a imagine if the chiefs take somebody like you know i don't know if this would apply to you but like for me like xavier Leggett, not a guy that i'm not that high on just from mm-hmm. a production standpoint in college like if he gets taken by the chiefs at the end of round one to me that probably boosts him up my board four or five picks, even though I don't necessarily love him as a player, like that's such a good fit for him that it probably jumps a guy like Brian Thomas Jr. or, uh, you know, Keon Coleman, if they end up in, you know, a place like, I don't know, you know, like the Tennessee, something along those lines. Right. Players that I like better, but in, in just a rough situation. I think same thing too with running backs, like much weaker running back draft class as we'll get into. But uh, you think about, like, I think there's going to be a lot of teams lining up for some of these, you know, like I mentioned, these kind of top four running backs that are available. And, and uh, you know, uh, Jacobs, uh, Henry, Eckler, and who am I missing here? Jacobs, Saquon. Saquon. Um, so it's like, obviously, all four of their teams might be in the running back market if they lose their guy. But then also, you know, teams like the Ravens, teams like the Texans, I feel like could be in the running back market. Teams like mm-hmm. the Patriots um, yep. could be in there. And, you know, obviously, you you know my my thoughts about how the NFL handles running backs. Like every team might be in the market for these guys if they feel like they can, you know, create the right the right tandem. So uh, running back value could significantly, you know, individual running back values could significantly change this year. Yeah, I just feel like this is probably this might easily be the most impactful offseason that we will have seen just in totality of coaching changes and free agency decisions and draft night trades and yeah. where guys get drafted. And I think too, like I obviously we will we will touch on this a ton between now and you know, now in April and then obviously even after the draft. But uh for those that you know don't follow the draft, the real NFL draft that closely, like there's kind of like this this core group of nine players that it's pretty clear are are most likely going to go one through nine or at least go nine of the top ten picks, and they're all offensive players. It's three quarterbacks, three wide receivers, Brock Bowers, the tight end, and two offensive tackles. And obviously, the offensive tackles are irrelevant for for you know for our league, but um, you know to think that there's a really good chance that seven of the top ten and Quite candidly, like it very easily could be the top seven picks are dynasty relevant players. Um, that's wild, especially when you think about last year's draft, where we were like, man, if you're outside the top five, like it really drops off. And obviously right. there were good players after that, you know, like Zay Flowers and, and Tank Dell and all them. But the, to think now, like, I mean, one through seven might just be, it's just like best available. Just boom, 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 boom. Like doesn't right. even matter. Yeah. Um, this, this feels yeah. like a, a rookie draft for some teams that, you know, I mean, a lot of us want to draft based off of need, right? 
Like I need, you know, I'm a team that needs another running back. I'm a team that needs a new tight end. I'm a team that needs a quarterback. So I want to get into that top three or whatever. Like, shoot, at this point, it might just be for some people, like, I have a shot to take a really good player. I don't care if I don't need another quarterback. I don't care if I don't need another running back. I don't care if I already have a stud tight end. Like, I need to take a dude that's going to give me fantasy points. Because especially as we saw this season with the quarterback rooms, like, injuries happen. Crazy things happen. Guys don't perform. Having that plethora of stashes on the bench to just insert a dude that you feel confident with is huge. You you know, like, I think, I mean, I, I think it's ironic that Josh is the seventh pick in the draft. Like, you know, even if he considers his team to need a quarterback or need a running back or need a tight end or whatever, if he gets up, you know, if nothing else changes in the draft, he gets up to number seven and it's Romo Dunze or J.J. McCarthy or, you know, Bo Nix or Trey Benson or whoever, you know, Braylon Allen, whoever. He's rushing Romo Dunze to the board. Even if Romo Dunze becomes his ninth best wide receiver, Josh will take that player right there, even if the the need doesn't dictate that. Right. So, you know, I think that's yeah, I think that's gonna be very, very interesting. And like, man, every free agent decision with quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends is gonna impact that top, you know. That the draft too, like this, I totally agree. I think this is the singular most impactful offseason that we've had since we started this league. That's honestly why I love the NFL that they do their free agency before the draft. Like I want to, I like getting a scope and a frame of mind of where teams are thinking. You know, give a little nugget of clue information in terms of where they might, where their headspace is in the draft. Yeah, you know, totally. doesn't necessarily say what round they're going to take guys in, but. Oh, hey, I noticed Giants didn't keep Saquon. Like, yeah. let's see how early they take a running back. Or, you, you know, know, like, I mean, watch watch the, like, Patriots go out and sign Kirk Cousins. And all of a sudden you're like, well, now all of a sudden Marvin Harrison Jr. might be, you know, well, I guess the commanders are first. But, or, you know, anyway, like Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the pick of three. Yeah. Instead of a Jaden Daniels or instead of a, you know, Drake May or whoever it may be. And then, you know, that causes ripple effects all throughout the first round. Like, obviously, you know, I mean, that's a great example of, like, Patriots take Kirk Cousins. They take Marvin Harrison Jr. third. The Cardinals, theoretically, are not going to take a quarterback, quarterback. Yeah. most likely. So you're thinking they go, sudden, they go neighbors or, a, or like a, backwards, you know, a offensive tackle. tackle. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden that kind of, you know, creates this, this ripple effect through the first round, you know, and I mean, the, the, obviously I know Bill Belichick is gone, but like the Patriots do some weird stuff. Like they're very unpredictable uh, in terms of how they operate. I don't know that the Patriots like, and I've seen a lot of stuff about this too. Obviously a lot of people view Caleb Williams as this like generational talent. Drake May, Jaden Daniels feel like they're the next two safest bets off the board. But who's to say a team like the Patriots doesn't feel super confident that Bo Nix is going to be available at the end of the second round or JJ McCarthy is going to be available at the end of the sec at the beginning of the second round. And, Oh, 
I don't really have a lot of weapons to give my young quarterback, but I have the ability to give them one of the most generational wide receivers ever. And then I can get him a quarterback in the second round and maybe snag in like a veteran wide receiver to now make JJ McCarthy or Brock or Bo Nix or uh, Michael Penix Jr. Somebody like that feel more comfortable, you know, or do the Patriots just say, look, our team sucks. Why would I put Jaden Daniels or Drake May through this? Yeah. Let me go get a that's... talented skill position player, build up the rest of the roster that's not competitive at all. We suck. And guess what? Now I get to partake in the Quinn Ewer sweepstakes, the Shador Sanders sweepstakes in the 2025 draft class. And now I've got weapons to yeah. make them flourish immediately. It is. Yeah. It To me, like if I was running the Patriots, I would seriously consider – a Russell Wilson, a, uh, you know, a uh, Kirk Cousins type addition, take Marvin Harrison Jr. and see if you can't, you know, Kirk, like I think Kirk Cousins is a better example, but like Kirk Cousins like probably has another two, three good years in him here where it's like, go, go just get, a, you know, the 12th best quarterback in the league and add as much talent as you possibly can around him and see, see what happens. Like you never know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So I, I think that's a, that's an excellent point. There's, there's gonna be a lot of moving parts. And I, I think the way in which we value our roster right now is going to look very different than how we, how we value it going into week one of next year. I honestly would be very curious to kind of do a stack rank of all 10, you know, how we rank all 10 rosters right now. And then after free agency, after trades, after, you know, uh, roster cuts after you know the draft come back you know that week before the the regular season and and see how we value teams then yep but yeah anyway let's uh you know just to to kind of recap everybody let's go through the draft order here um so that people can can be reminded of what we'll be working with we you know like i mentioned we're not going to do a ton of of deep uh deep dive and into draft stuff that'll be for our next pod but um you know, you'll you'll start to get used to this draft order. We'll be talking about it a lot this this offseason. So uh Colin has the number one pick. There have been rumors that he's interested in trading back. We'll see what happens. Uh Mike has himself the number two and number three pick. Austin is on the board fourth. Uh Mike is back on the board at five. Colin picks sixth. Josh is seventh. Dylan is eighth. Matt, you're up at nine. Tommy is ten. And uh, yours truly is up at 11. Um, we'll breeze through the second round here, just to get a feel. So, you know, starting at, at pick 12 here, it's Matt, Matt, Austin, Colin, Mike, Dylan, Austin, Josh, Tommy. Uh, so those are your first two rounds um, of the draft, uh, just to, you know, kind of keep people, keep people honest about where we stand. So um i'm gonna throw a couple a couple questions at you here you know looking at the draft board just about you know what what you're going to be keeping your eye on so um you know i kind of teased the idea of colin moving back but uh what are what are some teams uh in spots that you see that might either move up you know move up move move down or maybe even completely move out of the first two rounds um i think it's gonna be really i mean mike has and mike did a great job of you know doing his homework looking into the future that the 2024 draft was going to be a big one 
um, and gathering, you know, as many firsts and seconds as he possibly could. And, you know, worked out for him. I think picks two, three, and five. I'm going to be really interested to see if Mike sits at two, like just hangs on to two, three, and five. If he keeps two and three and moves out of five, does he do a deal with Colin to move up to one, but then keep his other pick in the, like another pick in the top three? Um, I'll be, I'll be very, very curious about that. Um, Honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised that Tommy has both of his first and second round picks. Yeah. I don't know if Tommy's ever made a first round pick in the drafts that we've done. So I'd be really interested to see if he just like, Hey, I want, I'm in championship mode right now. I do not care. You know, this 10th pick has no interest to me. Let me go take a a spot from, or let me take a player from, you know, somebody that would rather have the 10th pick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally. I think, uh, too, I, I, I'm curious about Colin. Like, I, I understand his idea of wanting to maybe, you know, trade out of one and go get like three and five uh, from from Mike. To me, my gut would be like, like Colin currently has two of the top seven picks. If you can get three of the top seven picks, I think you do it. If you if if a deal leads to you only still only having two of the top seven, I'd stick at one and six. Like take mm-hmm. take whatever you know, take Marvin Harrison Jr., take Caleb Williams, pick whoever you like at number one most, and then go take probably a wide receiver or Brock Powers at six. Uh, you know, with with whoever's left on the board, and and I think you feel you're an instant winner of the draft with with that outcome, regardless of what happens elsewhere on the board. Um, I think to me, the only thing I would, you know, say that, that, that could be bad is like, don't, you know, if I were running Colin's team, like I wouldn't be looking to like get future firsts. I wouldn't be looking to get like players that are, you know, that, that aren't first round caliber players. Like, you know, I, I think this is a type of draft class where like when you have multiple picks inside the top seven, like, you know, I wouldn't move out for, for for much um i think too like again uh i think the back half of the first round is gonna be very interesting to watch i think it's gonna be very impactful based on where players get drafted um something that i'm kind of keeping my eye on is running back quality the the quality of running backs is probably the worst in this draft than we've seen you know in, in the three or four you know two or three rookie drafts we've done to this point um, but it's such a high, high need for so many teams. Like everybody could use an extra running back on their roster. Um, does that inflate the value of some of these guys over that like B tier wide receiver group? Yeah. I look at some of these running back names and I'm just like, there's nobody going in the first round. I don't even know if there's a running back gets taken in the second round of the actual, I doubt it. in the actual NFL draft. I think yeah. we're talking third round to Saturday picks, but you know, I look at some of these names and I'm like, man, he had good college production, man, he had good college production, but the, the profile in the NFL, how they fit, it's tough to see them as these, you know, there are no Bijan Robinsons. There are no Kenneth Walker, the thirds. There are no Saquon Barkley's in this draft class where it's like, this dude is a bona fide superstar. You need to get him right now. 
Yeah. You know, I think we have a lot of guys where I think it's going to be a coin toss on a lot of names. Like, you know, you mentioned Braylon Allen earlier. I've seen a ton of people that have him as the number one running back on my big board of running backs. He's number six. Yeah. Like totally. I, I think it's a pick your poison. Like you're drawing names out of a hat and you're picking at hairs in terms of how you differentiate, honestly, running backs one through 11. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. There's in it. It's going to be a lot of situation based, you know, uh, where based on where they get picked, the the amount of draft capital used, all that kind of stuff. Um, I th- so let me let me toss um, a couple kind of would you rather questions. So um, would you rather, you know, stack rank for me, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze, and give me a feel for how close they are. That's actually a great question. So a lot of people have come in thinking like the assessment is that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the greatest wide receiver prospect we've ever seen in, you know, X number of years. He's got size. He's got speed. His catch radius is there. The dude gets open all the time. Trustworthy go-to guy that everybody loves. Malik neighbors put up insane numbers at LSU. And honestly, statistically better numbers than what Marvin Harrison Jr. had at Ohio State this past year. Um, You know, I think he's faster. I think he's quicker. I think he has a lot more big playability. Um, And you look at a guy like Romo Dunze from Washington, and I know he had a really bad drop in the college football playoff. Um, But, you know, I've, I've read, I've listened to some podcasts and read some things that did like a blind comparison of just like, not necessarily overall statistics, but like physical traits of players. And it was like, man, like you knew Marvin Harrison Jr. was in the bunch. But the guy that you thought was Marvin Harrison Jr. was actually Romo Dunze. Like I've listened, I've listened to some podcasts that said if Romo Dunze had the name, like had a, you know, insert NFL name Jr. attached to him, like we would be calling him the next generational wide receiver. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of people want to make there to be a large gap at number one. Personally, I think there is a gap between Marvin Harrison Jr. and everybody else, but I don't think it's that big. I think, especially neighbors in Odunze, I think they are in I personally I think they are in their own tier of wide receiver. Yeah. Right behind Harrison Jr. And then you jump into all these guys that could be mid to back end of the first round, second round, early third yeah. round guys that I, I mean, I'm super ecstatic about all of them as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's fine. So now kind of the, if we look at the next year, I'm going to give you four names to do the same thing. So uh, Troy Franklin, Brian Thomas, Jr. Keon Coleman, actually I'm going to give you five names, Troy Franklin, Brian Thomas, Jr. Keon Coleman, Xavier Worthy, Adane Mitchell. Um, I feel like any of them could go from pick eight to like pick 15. Yeah. I'm honestly not super sold on the Troy Franklin hype. Um, I know he put up good numbers at Oregon. I know Oregon runs a very like niche style of offense that gets a lot of production. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I personally, I would put Keon Coleman at the top of that bunch I know he didn't perform as well as everybody anticipated at Florida State, but I think when uh, was it Jordan Travis was there at the beginning of the season, like he flourished. Yeah, I think he just has a proto a prototype body 
that's going to work. Yeah. Um, Brian Thomas Jr. I'd probably put second. I think he is just an over the top, like blow the cap off the defense kind of dude. I think yep. he's a significantly, which is it's wild to say that Brian Thomas Jr. might be a better version of Jalen Hyatt from last year when Jalen Hyatt won the award for the best wide receiver in all of college football, but yeah. then ended up being like a fourth round pick in the draft. But I think, I mean, Brian Thomas Jr. put up insane numbers alongside Malik neighbors as well. Like that LSU offense was disgusting. Totally. Um, honestly, the guy that I, me personally, I'm a huge AD Mitchell fan. I love Adnay Mitchell. Um, like he's very, he's very high on my board. Like I'll make that known right now. I love yeah. AD Mitchell. Um, I loved him at Georgia. I thought he was a stud at Texas. I think he's a guy that I like a ton. So. Totally. I think a couple, couple notes. Um, I, I feel I would agree with you. I'm not as high on Troy Franklin. Uh, Brian Thomas, uh, like elite athleticism, elite speed, you know, great separation. You know, he, he can high point, you know, a, a lot of catches. Um, what the only part that scares me about Thomas is that like, I, you get a little bit of that like one trick pony vibe that mm-hmm. you equate to players like Alec Pierce, where you're like, go balls, they're your guy. But like anything, you know, sh- within in that short to medium range, they're, they're not irrelevant, but like they're, they're, they're the type of guy that's going to get like three catches a game or 80 yards and a touchdown. But then the next game, they'll get one catch for 17 yards and nothing. Like, I think Mike Williams is another one that's in that that tier. Um, And so I think it's it's a lot of boom bust with with uh, Brian Thomas Jr. Um, But I I would agree, like Adonai Mitchell is a guy that I I definitely like a lot. Uh, Keon Coleman, I feel like is is like I, I i'm in love with Keon coleman like i think he's just such an awesome combination of you know i think he's good at a lot of things mm-hmm. he does but not necessarily great at in like he's a fantastic athlete i think that's probably his best attribute um it, but i think it'll it'll keep his floor pretty high um i also think too like i have a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth about both texas wide receivers both adonai mitchell and xavier worthy just from how poor they did in the college football playoff. I think part of that, and it's taken me a little while to, I have to continually remind myself about the rest of their tape and about the rest of their production. And I've actually like in a lot of the tape that I've been watching of Mitchell and worthy, like it's, it's clear that that was the outlier uh, for them, but man, like it looked so rough. Um, and just the way they struggled to get separation from from those corners, and I I think yours, you know, didn't have his best game, but um, that's I think there's somebody that I feel like each day that passes that gets farther from that game, they'll climb up my board a little bit more as we go. <laughs> as right. as wrong as that is to say, but um, but yeah. And then the thing is too, it's like that's not even to mention guys like like Jalen Polk, like Xavier Leggett, like. You know, Lad McConkey, like Roman Wilson, um, even like a Devontae Walker, who I'm I'm pretty low on candidly, but uh, you know, lots of guys in that range that I mean, like you you might you might get a pretty awesome wide receiver in the third round of our rookie draft just from the sheer quantity of them. Oh yeah. 
One yeah. thing I think is really interesting about this draft class. There's a ton of dudes. It's amazing how many of them are teammates with other dudes that are also studs. Yeah. Like seriously. number one quarterback off the board, Caleb Williams from USC, you know, Brendan Rice and uh, Marshawn Lloyd, probably his top like weapons coming out. He's kind of an yeah. outlier, but like you've got Drake May. Oh, Devontae Walker, like potential day two wide receiver guy. You've got, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels. Oh, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. happen to be two of the best weapons like in the draft class. Oh, Adnay Mitchell and Xavier Worthy and Jonathan Brooks all played at Texas together. Yeah. Oh, J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards like from Michigan are all coming out. Keon Coleman at Florida State and Trey Benson like coming out together. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Travion Henderson like all coming out. Like there are just so many big name guys from big name schools. Yeah. coming out as teammates who had quarterbacks that are either up for being drafted this year or up for being drafted next year. Yeah. And, you know, I just pit, it's not a huge thought of mine, but I always have this like little tinkering, you know, thought in the back of my head. Like is Quinn Ewers actually a stud and Adnay Mitchell and Xavier worthy aren't like are overhyped because he's so good. Or are those two so good that it's overhyping Quinn Ewers for next year? Yeah. You know, is Jade is Jaden Daniels worthy of being the number three pick in the draft and the third overall, like in probably third quarterback in our dynasty league? Or is it because Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. are just out of this world wide receiver prospects? Like yeah. a lot of I think you know, I think the uh, that's a really great point, especially about the Texas players like it's going to be really like important to watch this next year, how Quinn Ewers looks without those two and how those two look in the NFL, you know, based, based on, on, you know, how, the, how they're able to do. Um, I, because I think if you think about like last year, Drake may was widely considered, you know, kind of neck and neck with Caleb Williams yeah, uh, going into this year. And then he loses uh, Josh Downs um, to the NFL. And, and I mean, Obviously, Drake May is still probably a top three pick, so he didn't do that poorly. But like, he took a step back. He did, and he didn't have Devontae Walker for a good portion of the season. Like, there's there there was a little bit of a step back there. Um, that that you know, I think we got to keep our eye on with with Quinn Ewers as well. Um, next question for you. So I'm curious. We this last draft class, uh, we had um, kind of a run on tight ends in the middle of the draft. Uh, in the that two round two three range, yeah, um, where you know we saw Sam Laporta get picked, and we saw like um, uh, Mayor. What was that? Uh, Mayor from yeah. Notre Dame. Mayor and Musgrave and Kraft and like mm-hmm. all those kind of tight ends that got taken, and and a couple of them were pretty impressive. Um, you know, obviously, especially Laporta. Um, but you know, I would say all of them kind of had their bright spots and I know I'm missing one or two rookie tight ends from last year as well, but looking at this year, Brock Bowers, probably a a top, top seven pick in the rookie draft. Um, but then there's, there's a ton of tight ends again, that are, that are naturally going to fall into that late second, third, fourth round. Um, do you think that people are going to, you know, feel like they, they're, they're going to be the ones to find the next, the next Sam Laporta, that kind of mid-round tight end that that could solve their tight end problem for for ten years. 
I think there are two names, two major names to look out for. Going back to Texas, Jatavion Sanders. If you watch some of those Texas games in big games, he was gigantic. Yeah. Um, like obviously the pictures came out of Brock Bowers. He does not look physically imposing, which is yeah. insane that he has been the most do- like one of the most dominant offensive players for the last three years in college football. Looking yeah. the way he does, like he's getting to roll into Gen Con and play some board games on a casual Saturday. Yeah. But like Jadavion Sanders is a physical specimen, big body, runs really well, like gets gritty. I think he's a name to look out for if he gets in a really nice landing spot. Um, and then I personally, I'm a big Cade Stover fan from Ohio State. I think he is going to be slept on. I think he might fit that next quality of like, you know, maybe his opportunity doesn't come this year as like immediate impact, like a Sam Laporta. But I think like, I personally think we're going to come back on this year and see that he is like one of the better tight ends from the draft. Yeah. I, I think that very well could be. I candidly am, I lean more towards the, I, I think somebody will take a, you know, a late second round, early third round tight end to me after Brock Bowers, I wouldn't touch a tight end until the fourth round. Like none of the, the, the potential upside with the wide receiver group is just way too high for me to like stray from that, that position group to go take a shot in the dark on Cade Stover, Batavian Sanders or whoever. Um, I like them a lot too, but to me, like the value is not there and I'm going to be very, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on like who I feel like who gets it in their head that they're going to be like the one that takes, you know, Sanders and all of a sudden doesn't need a tight end for 10 years. Like that's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, Kind of last, uh, you know, maybe last question here as we wrap up. So um, how many quarterbacks get drafted in the, in our four round draft, which one, which ones and how many. In our four round. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, bare minimum six, like bare minimum six quarterbacks are going to get drafted. Which six? Uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. All probably top four picks. Yeah, top four, top five at worst, yeah. depending on what how Mike and Colin and Austin value like a Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors. Um, yeah. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, and J.J. McCarthy are also three names that I think are going to get taken in our rookie draft. It's going to be interesting for those three on do they get taken by a team with the expectation that they're going to start day one as a rookie, or do they get like a, you know, a Philip Rivers type treatment or a, you know, Tony Romo treatment where a Jordan Love, like they sit behind somebody um, you know, I view a team like the Seattle Seahawks drafting a Michael Penix Jr., letting him sit behind Geno for a year, and then he takes the reign in Seattle with yep. Jackson Smith and the Jigba, Kenneth Walker, and um, DK Metcalf to throw to. Yeah, like, I think so, Denver's a team to watch, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only other names that I would concede, there are two other names that I think 
have the potential to actually get drafted. I think there will be a lot of quarterbacks that get picked up for the taxi squad just to like cover bases of names. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate saying this out loud because it's gross and I don't want to believe it's true. Spencer Rattler is a name that's gaining a ton of traction in the NFL, like GM communities and like all this like draft talk of totally. like, you know, oh, he didn't perform when he was at Oklahoma. Uh, he didn't have much talent at South Carolina, but, the you know, the arm talent is there, the the mobility is there. Like, you know, there's a reason he was a top prospect. And I just think that some team is going to take a chance on him. And I just feel like somebody's going to want to at least be like, Hey, I have this fourth round pick. Let me toss it at Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Um, And then Jordan Travis is probably the other name I would throw out there. He looked so good at Florida state the last two years yeah. or the last, you know, I would say season and a half, like back end of his, Back end of last year, everything up until the injury this year. Um, obviously, coming off the injury is going to hurt him, but I think there's a potential for eight guys to be drafted in our four rounds. But saying eight quarterbacks out of 40 picks, like 20% of our draft is quarterbacks, is kind of wild to say. Yeah. But I also think, especially after this year, so many guys got hurt. You know, Sloan was able to stack Aiden O'Connell on his taxi squad for no money at all turned into a starter and was able to help him solidify the number one seed in the, yeah. In the playoffs. Like it's bound to happen to somebody. Somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to be like, I don't want to put insert Joe Schmo backup. Who's been in the NFL for 13 years. Like, let me go yeah. take a chance on somebody like those guys. So, yeah. What, uh, what general area do you take Bo Nix, JJ McCarthy, Michael Penix, all else being equal? Oof. That's a great question. Um, personally, I'm not high on JJ McCarthy, mainly just because he went to, I mean, I hate Michigan. I never, I also never thought he was actually that good of a quarterback at Michigan. Same. Uh, rumors that I'm hearing are that a lot of, I mean, he's the youngest of that trio. Like he is a true junior coming out. Whereas yeah. like Bo Nix has been there for a couple of years. Penix obviously been there for multiple years. Like, many, many years. So when you're comparing apples and oranges of like, do I want 21 year old JJ McCarthy versus do I want 23, 24 year old Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. I think JJ McCarthy might be the fourth quarterback legitimately drafted in the NFL draft. Yeah. Now where that landing spot is, I don't know. I think those three reasonably like picks 13 to 23, I think is their window of yeah. well-being i think if you go earlier than that as of right now if you're taking one of those three and pick seven to 12 i think it's a little bit of a reach and let but obviously things can change when they get drafted and then anybody else after them i think is a you know late third fourth round flyer yeah yeah no i would agree um it's it's gonna be interesting to see where that uh that group ends up so um well, yeah, I think that that's all the questions that I had. Do you have any any thoughts that you want to share on the draft before before we wrap up? Um, just a couple of name, like other names that are like way down there that I just want to yeah. give a shout out to. I don't know that these guys are going to get drafted, but I just love like hearing all the hype about them. Frank Gore Jr. 
uh, coming out of Southern Miss. I've heard a lot of talk about like people, like teams being interested in him. Yeah. I have him listed as like the 12th best running back in the class. Yeah. But like, you know, crazier things have happened. I think things can change. Jerry Rice's kid, Brendan, um, is coming out out of USC. Um, he's a name to look out for and like what kind of opportunity he gets a chance on. Um, here's, I, I have a deep cut for you here. If you're ready for this. Oh, Hemi. So I was watching a podcast that was, that showed that was, that was graphing. Let me see if I can get this right. It was graphing players. The X axis was number of games played in Mm -hmm. college. And the y-axis was yards per game. So it's essentially like a look at production. Like essentially the top left quadrant was elite production over a very short period of time. Right. The bottom left was, you know, terrible production over a short period of time. Bottom right was terrible production over, you know, a long period of time. And the top right was elite, you know, was great production over a long period of time. And it also had current NFL receivers from the last couple of drafts that were plotted on there as well. Mm -hmm. And essentially, like, the bottom left, for example, the only good player in that quadrant was DK Metcalf. The rest of the players were, like, you know, your, your third, fourth, fifth string wide receivers. Um, I won't be able to get one from every like your your bottom right quadrant was David Bell, actually, like pretty good production, but not elite over a pretty long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think top left was like where Rondale Moore was, where it was like really great production, but only like two years of it in the top right. left. And then guys like um Justin Jefferson and uh, I think oh Tank Dell was in the top right, um, you know like just guys that were in college for multiple years that were starters for multiple years that played a while. The single best receiver based on that uh, that you know kind of look. Uh, you want to take a guess at who it was? Is it somebody that's, that's current? That- in this draft in this draft class yeah this player I, i'll give you a hint player was better on this metric than marvin harrison jr who was at ohio state for what three years and like played more or less for all oh, three yeah all three years at ohio state dang that's crazy um uh if i had to take a guess Shoot, I just think about some of these big schools having dudes that have been studs for a couple of years. I'll warn you, I didn't even know who this player was until I heard his name on this podcast. Oh my god. Oh, so this is like a deep, deep cut. You you could have told me that this was Can you give me a conference? Uh Pac, Legacy Pac 12. <laughs> Legacy Pac 12. Uh, I, I don't know if I can pick off somebody <laughs> from the from the West Coast just out of it the was, hat. 
It was uh, Jacob Cowing from Arizona. I oh my gosh, I was literally about to say the dude from Arizona, but I couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> it's amazing. You said yeah, it's Jacob. From, his last name's what? Like Cowing, like Cowing, a cow. Yep. C o w i n g. I have. Oh my gosh! So my shout out to Arizona. My assistant JV coach is a graduate from Arizona, so yep. he was a big trooper. Went to watch Purdue Arizona when they were down in uh down here in Indy. Um, accepted the beat down. Actually wore a Purdue basketball shirt, courtesy of me, to our next baseball workout um, as punishment for his team losing. Nice. Um, he, I'm honestly upset I didn't come up with this. He talked nonstop about how good this dude was. Like, yeah. he basically was like, everybody knows the ball's going to him, and he still rips off like 180 yards a game. Yep. Exactly. And that's where this, I mean, they were pretty much saying the same thing. So, and I will say from the, the I wish I remembered more of the names that were on that in that quadrant. It was like a 90% hit rate for you oh, know, terms of stud. wide receiver one, wide receiver twos in that yeah. in quadrant. So uh, yeah, somebody to keep an eye on. Everybody uh, needs you know, to go find that podcast. If you see, uh, if you see Brian taking Jake, taking Jacob Cowling at, at the 11th pick, you'll know. <laughs> no, 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 too bad. I'm taking him ninth. Yeah. So, uh, Seven, yeah. Seven, Joke's actually on you. This is just a this is a long con to get Colin to take him first overall. <laughs> so, my gosh, uh, man. So cool. Any other any other thoughts here? No, I'm super excited to you know. Hopefully, you boys listen. Give us some good feedback about it. Um, you know, hopefully. Purdue has a successful run in basketball here soon. We all celebrate uh, a wonderful March, and then we get into mock season as uh, as the draft is right around the corner. So I'm um, yeah, uh, this is like the pinnacle of sports. I think personally, yep. it's a great time of year. Great time of year. So uh, yeah, I look forward to our first first mock. I uh, cordially invite our commissioner to get a time scheduled for as many of us to, to mock as possible um, so that we can get the ball rolling. And then uh, rules fall will be around the corner here soon. I'd imagine uh, probably a couple weeks to a month and then uh, NFL draft and then rookie draft and then, and then the long summer. So oh, the dog days of summer, at least we have uh old Matt Kenny jr. Coming out. Exactly. That'll keep us busy. So, Cool. Well, uh, good pod. Um, thanks for hanging in, hanging in there with us. Uh, felt like you know after taking a month or two off, you guys deserved a nice long pod. So, hope hopefully provide some good entertainment. Absolutely. Awesome. We will uh, go ahead and sign off uh, for the Doughboys. Uh, welcome to the off season, everybody. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>